Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy Tuesday to you. Uh, later in the show, we'll talk with Matt Scott with the Atlanta Community Press Collective. A little follow-up from the uh, Block Cop City protest. And he insinuates in social media, and others seem to back that up, that the cab police who were firing tear gas canisters at protesters were actually targeting journalists first, or at all. Either way, I believe that's like an international human rights violation of some sort. Anyway, we'll talk with him about that, get the latest on the uh, Stop Cop City movement, where we are with uh, RICO indictments, who's still in jail, who is out, um, how the judicial process will work for them, and where or when will we start to hear something about a ballot initiative. He also, by the way, has uh, some plum information about the special legislative session coming up at the end of this month. And might the Georgia General Assembly take up getting rid of the referendum possibility in the future for anything else to begin with? You and I, we, the people, should be deeply concerned about that. Something else uh, that we should be deeply concerned about is the fact that in 2020, in late 2020, after the uh, general election, we had a clear winner. There's supposed to be a transition of power, and there seems to be more and more damning evidence that the man that was in the Oval Office had no intention of leaving willingly. ABC News broke the story that they had video of some Fulton County District Attorney testimony, this time from Jenna Ellis, where she details a conversation at the White House Christmas party, December 19th, 2020, well after the November election, and votes had been certified, and recounts and audits done, it was clear Joe Biden had won the 2020 election, would be sworn in January 20th, 2021. Anyway, uh, I'm going to let Lawrence O'Donnell set this up. He did so masterfully last night on MSNBC. Take a listen. All right, now let's take a look at the video. In the portion of the video obtained by ABC News, Attorney Jenna Ellis, who pleaded guilty the day after she did this video interview with the prosecutors, described a conversation that she had at the final Trump White House Christmas party with Dan Scavino, a person who could not possibly have been employed in politics or government by anyone other than Donald Trump. So Dan true. Scavino started working for Donald Trump in a job he was fully qualified for as Donald Trump's golf caddy. <laughs> Here is the video of that conversation obtained by ABC News. At the time uh, period where they were going to start to discuss, what was uh, Dan Scavino's role? At the time, I believe his title was social media director for the White House. It became deputy chief of staff um, at the time that the conversation in question took place. Okay, and when was that? The conversation was around December 19th of 2020 uh, at the White House Christmas party. And I uh, emphasized him, I thought that the um, the, the claims and the ability to challenge uh, the election results was essentially over because he said um, to me in a kind of excited tone, well, we don't care and we're not going to leave. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the boss, meaning President Trump and everyone understood the boss. Um, that's what we all called him. 
Um, he said the boss uh, is not going to leave under any circumstances. We are just going to stay in power. And I said to him, well, it doesn't quite work that way, you realize. And he said, we don't care. Mm. Now, look, I'm no attorney, and that is definitely hearsay. But you have to wonder, Dan Scavino, by the way, who, again, Trump's golf caddy turned deputy, what was it, deputy press secretary? Anyway, Dan Scavino didn't testify before the January 6th committee, refused to. Um, the House referred him to the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice didn't do anything, which makes you wonder if there's been a deal cut. Nobody said. But, again, it's, it's hearsay. So, until Dan Scavino is compelled to testify, we may never know the veracity of that conversation. The Trump legal team immediately said, well, obviously, that's false because we did leave on January 20th, 2021. Sure, but again... That was a conversation that allegedly took place at the Christmas party, December 19th of 2020. And January 6th happened, doing my math here, 18 days later. And then you saw the bootlickers like Lindsey Graham on the night of January. Well, that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. I'm, that's it. I'm done. Tapped out. Can't no more. No. No more of this foolishness. I'm done. And so Donald Trump had no recourse but to leave on January 20th. Jenna Ellis' testimony wasn't the only testimony uh, video that leaked to ABC News, and it's curious who got this to ABC News and how this benefits either prosecution or the defendants. But uh, anyway, Jenna Ellis, after giving them that testimony the very next day, got her plea deal. Sidney Powell had similar circumstance. She gave testimony that the prosecutors obviously compelled her to take a plea deal for after the fact, and then the next day took her plea deal. Here's Sidney Powell's leaked testimony video. Ms. Powell, were you ever around when someone, anyone, told uh, Donald Trump that he had lost the election? Oh, yeah. Who? Uh, Pat Cipollone, Eric Hirschman, Derek Lyons all thought he'd lost. Was that in the December 18th meeting? Yes. What, what was um, President Trump's reaction when, I guess, this cadre of advisors would say you lost? It was like, uh, well, they would say that and then they'd walk out and he'd go, see, this is what I deal with all the time. He was specifically willing to appoint me special counsel. In fact, he looked over at Cipollone three different times and said, do I have the authority to name her special counsel? And Cipollone said, yes, you do. And then somebody said, well, she doesn't have a security clearance. So he looked at Cipollone and he said, do I have the authority to give her a security clearance? And Cipollone said, yes, you do. And then about the third time we went through that scenario, uh, Cipollone, I think, said, you can name her anything you want, Mr. President, and nobody's going to pay a bit of attention to it. Now, again, I'm no attorney, and I don't understand the Department of Justice intermechanisms, but I do believe that that legal advice was incorrect. Like, he couldn't just appoint her special counsel. Um, nonetheless, it further solidifies that his inner circle kept telling him, kept telling him, see, that's what he's got to deal with, kept telling him December 18th, December 19th, that he had not won the election. A full, nearly, no, I'm sorry, two and a half weeks before January 6th happened. 
And he gave that speech and insisted to his base that were there that uh, he was going to meet them at the Capitol. He never did, obviously. Of course, he may not have intended not to show up. We'll never know, or will we? I don't know. There seems to be some differing of opinions on what went down inside the beast, the armored limousine he was put into. Did he rest for the steering wheel to try and go to the Capitol and was forced to simmer in front of a TV to watch everything go down January 6th at the White House instead of going to the Capitol? Yet to be determined. Now, according to the Washington Post, there's much more that we actually learned in these videos. Uh, that Sidney Powell said that if Donald Trump had appointed her special counsel to investigate election irregularities, as she had urged him to do in that December 18th Oval Office meeting, she would have sought to seize election equipment and would have considered using the military to do so. Kenneth Chesborough also disclosed for the first time that he played a role in transporting documents signed by Wisconsin Trump electors to Capitol Hill as part of a Trump campaign plan to present Vice President Mike Pence with competing slates of electors. Sidney Powell also said that she still believes, quote, machine fraud tainted the 2020 presidential election. I hate to use one of Rudy's phrases, but it doesn't pass the prosecutor smell test, she said. She described a December 21st, 2020 meeting at the White House that included Rudy Giuliani and Mark Meadows, during which Giuliani called her every name in the book, including Scott Hall, Fulton County defendant Scott Hall, claims that his role in the alleged breach of election equipment in rural Coffee County was simply that of a political tourist and that he spent $10,000 of his own money to fly there on January 7th, 2021, purely, quote, for shits and giggles. But he also complained that no one reimbursed him for the charter flight, explaining, pardon my French, but I've been through this whole thing. Scott Hall, uh, according to the Washington Post, also revealed a previously undisclosed role in alleged harassment of Ruby Freeman, the Fulton County election worker who has publicly described having to go into hiding after Giuliani and others falsely accused her of counting phony ballots. Uh, Back to the Washington Post, Scott Hall also revealed a previously undisclosed role in alleged harassment of Ruby Freeman. Ruby is one of the uh, Fulton County election workers who was publicly described having to go into hiding after Rudy Giuliani and others falsely accused her of counting phony ballots. Hall said Robert Cheeley, who is an attorney, and let me see what he, he's uh, RICO indicted there, a violation of the Georgia RICO Act, conspiracy to commit impersonating a public officer, conspiracy to commit forgery in the first degree, two counts there, conspiracy to commit false statements and writings, two counts there, conspiracy to commit filing false documents, solicitation of violation of oath of public office, false statements and writings, and perjury. Anyway, that attorney, Robert Cheeley, approached him to help locate Ruby Freeman, and he surmised that he was tapped because of his skills tracking people down as a bail bondsman. Sidney Powell, despite pleading guilty in the case, continued to maintain her lack of involvement in the Coffee County incident. She said she opposed the publication of the computer data because she understood the sensitivity of the material. Now, for its part, Tamar Hollerman at the AJC is reporting that the Fulton District Attorney's Office is looking to ban the release of witness videos after leaks, and they blame Harrison Floyd's legal team for the leak. The article states the Fulton County District Attorney's Office seeking an emergency safeguards after recorded interviews featuring four defendants in their election subversion case were leaked to the media. In a new court filing today, 
Fulton County prosecutors asked Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee for an order protecting all discovery materials which would prohibit sensitive and confidential information from being shared publicly. That includes official interviews or proffers with defendants who strike plea deals with prosecutors in exchange for their cooperation. Now, in the filing, prosecutors emphasized that they were not behind the leaks of proffers featuring Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, Scott Hall, and Ken Chesborough. ABC News was the first to report about the contents of the interviews, blah, 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 blah. Prosecutors appeared to point fingers at the legal team for defendant Harrison Floyd, citing an email exchange with defense attorneys, the DA's office, and the court. In it, one of Floyd's attorneys said, quote, it was Harrison Floyd's team that leaked the interviews. They noted, however, that Floyd's attorney later followed up and said his prior email was a, quote, typo, and that his team did not communicate with the media. Sure, Jan. This, by the way, has prompted changes in the district attorney's uh, sharing uh, provision saying that going forward, they would not produce any copies or proffers to other defense teams as part of their discovery process. They may take notes, but they will be prohibited from creating any recording or reproduction, according to prosecutors. OK, so that's not the only news on the Fulton district attorney Trump case front. We actually have some breaking news from earlier today as to what sort of timeline Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis envisions for her Trump and RICO case. So we'll give you audio of that conversation as it dropped earlier this afternoon when we return here on The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday. While we're still fresh on the Fulton Trump prosecution front, uh, Fannie Willis was giving an interview at the Washington Post Live's Global Women's Summit and was asked this question by Amy Gardner. When do you think the, this election interference will come to a conclusion? And let me add a little bit of detail before you answer. You have said March in the past, uh, and uh, there are a couple of other cases out there that make that less feasible, to my mind. I'm, don't know anything, but that's just what it seems like. It can't be March. Can you give us any clue what, when this would wrap up? Um, I mean, I think a case will be on appeals for years. Okay. But I think that um, in terms of, uh, I believe in that case there will be a trial. I believe the trial will take many months. And I don't expect that we will conclude until the winter or the very early part of 2025. So there's a possibility that defendants would be on trial up to including an election season, an election day, and maybe even an inauguration day? I don't, when making decisions about cases to bring, um, consider an election cycle or an election season. It does not go in the calculus. What goes in the calculus is this is the law, these are the facts, and if the facts show you violated the law, then charges are brought. Um, I have heard that kind of what you're hinting at and going around. It would be a really sad... I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know either. Uh, but it would be a really sad country. And when I, if I can get people to think about this logically, um, it, there's probably right now in the country, through all the prosecutor's offices, a million people right now under investigation, from everything from theft by shoplifting to entering an auto to murder. It would be a really sad day if... Uh, 
when you're under investigation for this shoplifting charge, you could go run for city council and then the investigation would stop. That, that's foolishness. And it's foolishness at any level. If I'm being honest, I'm not really happy with anything she said. I mean, I, I, listen, I can't quibble with the timeline. That It is what it is. I mean, a trial will take as long as a trial will take. What, what, I, what I honestly would have liked for her to stop is right there. Just, just answer that question, and then let's not get to the running for dog catcher while under investigation for shoplifting and can make that. that yeah, let's, mm, because then you're politicizing it. Like, I get it. She's an elected official, but in her capacity, mm, she has her thumb. I just, like, let let his Republican opposition, let those running for the GOP nomination, if Chris Christie were saying that, hell yes, absolutely, he should be saying that. Nikki Haley should be saying it. Ron DeSantis should be saying Anybody who's running for the nomination for the GOP should be saying that. I don't think District Attorney Fonnie Willis should be. Just my two cents. Let's move on to a couple of other stories. We do have uh, Matt Scott with the Atlanta Community Press Collective joining us next segment to talk about being tear gassed as a journalist. And was that on purpose? Mm. Yesterday at the Cop City protests and march to the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility grounds. I had no idea before today who the f*** Mark Wayne Mullis, uh, Mullen is. But he apparently is uh, a seat holder right now uh, as a senator for the state of Ohio. And... Yesterday, wanted to get into a big old bubble brawl with a Teamsters head. Listen to this. This is in a Senate hearing, y'all. Now, let's talk about Mr. O'Brien himself, his behavior. As everybody knows in this hearing, the last time <laughs> him and I kind of had a back and forth. But after you left here, you got pretty excited about the keyboard. In fact, you tweeted at me one, two, three, four five times. And let me read what the last one said. Um, it said, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Mm. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. If you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. <laughs> well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, oh, stop it. Is that your solution every poll? No, no, sit down. Oh, you're a clown. Sit down. Okay. You yeah, know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Act oh, okay, okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Mr. Hold Sen- it. Hold it. No, listen, I, I thought that was churlish and juvenile. Both of them, actually. Sean O'Brien, the Teamsters president. Uh, I mean, I think what happened is, uh, honestly, I think Mark Wayne Mullen probably uh, took it poorly that Sean O'Brien showed a photo of Mark Wayne Mullen at a prior debate when he was running for office where he was standing on like a, a lift, like a, a little box to lift his height, uh, similar to his debate opponent at the time. Eh. But, but anyway, Mark Wayne Mullen, by the way, is one of those who uh, helped Capitol Police uh, set up barricades and defended all the Capitol Police actions, even shooting at people who had no business being in the U.S. Capitol during the insurrection. So you, you got to take that into consideration as well. Just thought it was an odd scenario. And by the way, let's also put this in context with the fact that we have now accusations from one GOP House member accusing another GOP House member and former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, of elbowing him in the kidneys. Uh, Kevin McCarthy denied it, but there was a reporter there who corroborates this, Tim Burchett making the accusation. 
What in the wild, wild world of the sports is going on with Republicans right now, y'all? More Republican turning on Republican today when there was an impeachment vote for uh, Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas, and that failed. It failed because eight Republicans joined a unified Democratic coalition, and that vote failed by a 209-201 vote. Poor Marge. Marjorie Taylor Greene running to Alex Jones and InfoWars. He's still on to complain about those eight Republicans. Well, you just pointed it out. I think one of the biggest things that Americans are outraged about is the fact that eight feckless Republicans voted with the Democrats to kill my articles of impeachment against Secretary Mayorkas. And I, I can't even ma- I can't even make it up. No one can understand it. Uh, these four of the eight. I want you to know I got a list right here. I got to talk about it. Four of the eight serve on the Judiciary Committee, Alex, and the Judiciary Committee is where my articles of impeachment have been sitting there collecting dust for six months, along with other articles of impeachment. Marjorie Taylor Greene on Alex Jones Show. He obviously is broke because he can't afford good internet service, as you heard. All right, back after this, we're on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show. Call or text The Ron Show anytime at 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Well, we talked a little bit about this on the show yesterday, as a lot of it was actually happening live while the show was being put together. But there was a huge weekend of action that culminated in a uh, peaceful organization and then a march protest to the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility construction site where protesters, hundreds of them, were met by DeKalb County cops in riot gear with tear gas canisters and flashbang grenades <laughs> to meet folks who were showing up with garden hose and things of that nature. Um, joining us to give us how this all played out, he himself among those tear gas is Matt Scott with the Atlanta Community Press Collective. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, Ron. How are you? I'm good. I'm curious. How does one go home and recover from being tear gassed? I've never been, so. Uh, so all of your clothes, you want to sort of uh, seclude into their own little pile. I wash them separately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you take a shower, you want to use uh, cold water and a non, uh, non-sort of fragrant soap uh, to just mildly wash everything off your body uh it's a little less of a problem with tear gas it's a lot worse with pepper spray but same Mm. sort of principles apply for both so this isn't like being uh squirted on by a skunk you don't have to do like the whole like tomato bath tomato soup bath or anything like that right uh no thankfully not that involved i'm sorry though the cold water sounds gruesome so i you know tear gas me all you want but a cold water shower afterwards and i'm out i'm out I, I actually said, as I was leaving uh, a group of journalist friends, I'm not looking forward to getting in a cold shower right now, but I'm going to do it. So I wanted to ask you in particular, because I saw you uh, tweeting about this yesterday. You, you believe that the journalists that, that were there to cover this event were tear gassed on purpose? It certainly felt like the journalists were being purposely targeted. The first uh Pepper, or, I'm sorry, the first gas canister that was uh, sent out was sent towards a group of journalists. You can see in a video that ACPC posted, mm. um, the the crowd of of protesters are sort of in the middle and, and all of the journalists are off to the side. And it is in the, si- the direction of the journalists that the gas canister is, is first launched. And then later on during the encounter, uh, one of ACPC's journalists uh, was actually being helped by a medic wash out their eyes and 
police launched another uh, tear gas canister directly at that journalist and the journalists around them who were, you know, attempting to recover from the initial uh, shock of the gas canisters. Huh. I'm a college dropout. I never got to journalism school, but aren't there like international laws against that sort of thing? Uh, you are not supposed to target journalists. That is uh, an international law, yes. Uh, and I'm sure they would say that, you know, they did not do so on purpose, but and I can certainly not speak to what their intent was other than to say it, it certainly felt like there was some targeting. So I was watching the live stream from the Indian Collective a good bit yesterday uh, from the speeches at Gresham Park and then the march, which just, you know, seemed almost like what you watch when the supporters come into an Atlanta United match. A lot of chanting, a lot of drumming, uh, spirits were high. Do you get the same sense uh, from from being embedded in yourself? Oh, certainly. Yeah, the, the energy was very high. There was uh, a sense of determination, you know, uh, preparation for police violence. Yeah. And that was certainly borne out uh, very quickly uh, upon actually encountering the police. But, you know, the rally beforehand uh, was very well attended. We heard uh, from both of Tortuguita or Manuel Paez Tron's parents mm. Uh, and uh, a couple of other speakers to hype up the crowd, ending with uh, Sam, one of the spokespeople for uh, the Block Cop City movement. And then the crowd launched on, uh, kept a quick pace up, and uh, you know they were planting trees along the way, and spirits were high. There was a brass band playing the entire time, hmm. and then you know, <laughs> then the brass band is playing when police are launching tear gas and and you oh. know, sort of shoving and. Uh, being very aggressive back into the march. So you're telling me the band played on, much like in the <laughs> Titanic scene, the band played the on band while tear gas canisters... Oh my gosh, yeah. Those guys get uh, medals of commendation for me for that. Uh, you, you mentioned, by the way, that they were planting trees along the way. The, uh, the, 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 the Atlanta Police Department, of course, displayed all of the uh, gardening equipment that they commandeered and, and labeled as weapons. Uh... Did you find that comic? I just thought, I just thought that was kind of funny myself that they, you know they, they do that when they get the, the big spray of cocaine or or marijuana on the table. They had a, a they had a sea of of garden hose and rakes and whatnot that they were displaying as weapons. Yeah, it was certainly a very interesting press conference just from the image alone that the still that was sort of circulated where you could see the arrayed uh, uh, you know digging tools and the bolt cutters and. Uh, forget what the other item of concern oh the gas mask uh that they were very concerned about you know this this looks like people attempting to replant the forest which was the stated goal mm. of the action and you you mentioned the fact that there were those that showed up with gas masks and that they were i guess a majority of those who were there attending to march they expected police violence you said uh, there was certainly an expectation of police violence. There's been police violence, you know, throughout the history of this movement. And of course, you know, the, the death of, of or the killing of Tortuguita. Uh, at this point in, you know, in just general protest movement understanding, there's the likelihood that police are going to be violent anytime you have any sort of demonstration. Uh, I did not have a gas mask. I certainly wish I did uh, going into that march and, you know, being gassed. Uh, so it's entirely understandable that when you are encountering police, 
you expect that you are going to be gassed and you are prepared for that eventuality. The police themselves were prepared for that eventuality and more. It only makes sense that those who are marching be prepared for what the police are planning. This is the, 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 uh, the similarities are just so stunning when I hear uh, that sort of mindset and think back to what we learned uh, in history class and even through uh, Hollywood uh, adaptations of the civil rights movement to expect police violence to be prepared for it. How, how, how does that, how does that movement do that? Like when, when they, when they come upon uh, again, cops, there were like what, 24, 30 cops, uh, the cab County police in riot gear holding what were pretty obviously tear gas, uh, you know, launchers and, you know, flashbang grenades what, what what happens? Is it is it men to the front? Do the is the chivalry exist? Are the are the kids pushed to the were there kids there? Were, were are young people pushed to the back? What happens? Uh, so solidarity is the the key, um, and and something that is stressed in these movement spaces quite frequently, and that is looking out for one another. And mm-hmm. so when police start to you know when there's this sort of mass engagement with police, there's very real fear that police will pick off individual. Uh, protesters and arrest them and, and charge them with rioting. Mm. And so if you see in some of these videos, there are arms that are linked uh, to ensure that no individual is left behind. There are medics all around the outskirts to treat uh, tear gas or pepper spray or whatever injuries may occur uh, in these scrums. So the idea that they that is constantly repeated in this movement is mm. we take care of us. We're with Matt Scott from the Atlanta Community Press Collective. Uh, you can follow. In fact, we'll have all kinds of social media links in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. You can also find them at atlpresscollective.com. You can learn more about uh, their their movement and even you know donate to the cause if you want to. So the the, the truth is, there's been a lot of quiet on this uh, topic, uh, the, the building of the Atlanta Police Training Facility in the last couple of months. But there's actually been a lot of construction work done. Has that dampened the mood in any way for this movement to know that, you know, curbings are down, the the, the forest has been cleared uh, where, where they where they want to build, and they're ready to start laying asphalt and foundations? I had this really interesting moment uh, with one of the Black Cop City organizers last week, uh, where I had drone footage that had been sent to me earlier that day of the site and, you know, all the destruction that has been done and and the flattening and this massive concrete pad and and the runoff pond that's sort of green disgusting that mere months ago was not looking any way like that yeah. and uh the, the spokesperson looked at it and and was crestfallen um mm. they sort of turned into themselves but then that turned into a very strong sense of determination that these sort of direct actions must happen in order to combat this continuing to happen. And I think that that writ large is what is happening in the movement. So I made the argument yesterday as well that this just seems like such a huge expense for the city of Atlanta taxpayers. When this rally is taking place the Monday after the weekend, we learn that uh, the city's fire department is having to close or permanently or temporarily close upwards of a quarter, sometimes eight of their 30 fire stations due to lack of personnel, lack of engines and trucks and hoses and this, that, and the other. Does anybody else see the correlation in this movement of this sort of expense happening for a a training facility when, and and remember, it's a public safety training facility, so the fire department's going to need to be trained too, when the fire department doesn't have the equipment to do the job, let alone be trained for it? 
it certainly does speak to a disparity in uh, in approaches to things that are needed in Atlanta. There always seems to be money for policing. There always seems to be money for protecting what policing we do have and avoiding, you know, accountability or or accepting democratic input. There is not always money for fire equipment. There is not always money for housing. Uh, Mayor Dickens likes to say that the budget is not a zero sum game, but there is a finite amount of dollars every year that is dedicated to Atlanta's budget from Atlanta's tax base. An increasing number of those dollars are going to police every year. So I'm not all or nothing, as I think many in the movement might be. Like, I look at Fulton County, who wants to build a $15 million facility within Fulton County, and preferably, I would think, within the city of Atlanta, and think, why can't the city of Atlanta coordinate with Fulton County and save this forest and stay within city limits and save taxpayer dollars at the same time? Are are there those within the movement who might even be like-minded on that? There are likely those within the movement who are who are like-minded on that. And on that note, I would like to point out that while Cop City was originally projected and, and said to be this world-class training center, mm. now within the metro area, we have uh, it's either four or five of these training right. centers going up. So there is no need for it to happen here in this forest at all. Matt Scott joining us from the Atlanta Community Press Collective. Did you guys get your hands on the internal polling that the, uh, uh, the Kent-backed uh, organization released over the weekend that talked to uh, the fact that 60% of Georgians statewide said that they back the uh, public safety training facility? They also cited 54% support for DeKalb County and within Dekema Williams 5th Congressional District as well. Have you all seen that? I have not, given the everything that was going on in the lead up to this uh, yeah. this Monday. I had not had a chance to look at those numbers, but I, I did see the initial uh, reports. I thought those were interesting. I, I kind of throw away the sixty percent statewide. I don't I don't care what the folks statewide have to say. This is a a, a metro Atlanta, and, and more specifically, a DeKalb County and City of Atlanta issue. Uh, so that that's where I want to see the way. Where are we, though, on uh, – well, let's start with the RICO indictments. Where are we on that, uh, uh, judicially speaking? So judicially speaking, uh, we had our arraignment last Monday mm-hmm. or, or two Mondays ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of the people arraigned, three are still uh, – or actually, I'm sorry, four are still currently detained. Uh, one wow. is expected to be out this evening. <laughs> um, and then upcoming a week from Wednesday – that is the day before Thanksgiving. There is a speedy trial motion hearing. Um, I'm, it's unclear how many of the defendants have signed on to that. It was going to be anywhere from uh, 10 to 12 originally, and we will find out on Wednesday mm-hmm. what that actual number is. But a number of defendants uh, are filing a motion to extend the deadline to file a speedy trial uh, in order to essentially force the state to produce its evidence on a faster time frame. Right. Uh, if that happens and we have 10 to 12 people who are doing it, we're looking at likely, according to the prosecution, about a three-month trial. Wow. Other than that, if uh, the remainder of the individuals are not expected to enter their final plea hearings until uh, May or June of next year, mm. and then we'll have a trial following that. So we're looking like a long-term process uh, Judge Kimberly Adams wants this to happen within nine months. We're likely talking a couple of years uh, before this this whole thing is all said and done. Uh, uh, and of those that are detained, are they being held at Fulton County? 
There is uh, one person who is currently at Atlanta City Detention Center under Fulton County supervision under that lease program. Mm -hmm. uh, there is one person who has been remanded to DeKalb County uh, to uh, there. There was a, another charge in DeKalb County related to the movement that had not uh, they had not turned themselves in for yet. And then another individual is uh, in ICE. Uh, detention in um, Stewart County and another person is in another metro area uh, gotcha. county. Okay. So uh, the last thing I want to ask you, what is the latest on the referendum initiative? Uh, it just seems like we're, we're at this sit and wait point where the, the city has boxes of referendum ballots, but nobody's doing anything. Uh, sit and wait is certainly a, <laughs> an apt descriptor of what is happening. There is a hearing on December 14th um, for the federal uh, First Amendment case, um, which is in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. And I do also want to note that there is an upcoming Georgia special legislative session right. happening. Uh, George Sheedy actually pointed this out in his article yesterday. And in that special legislative session, there is a chance that uh, the Georgia legislature actually addresses the referendum uh, question and makes it so down the line, nobody can use the same mechanism. So that is something to keep an eye on <laughs> related to the referendum moving forward. Would that affect this referendum, though? I know that they're, they're still eyeing maybe a March primary ballot spot. I do not believe it, it would affect this referendum. I would need to go and ask a natural attorney, but uh, I don't believe it would have a post or a, you know, an effect on something that was already in process. Yeah. But All certainly right. taking away the, the ability to use a referendum uh, to moderate the influences or you know, the approach of your government down the line is, is something that I think all of us should take pause and concern over. Well, and, and conservatives have two reasons to, to do that, to, again, stifle the opportunities for another Stop Cop City movement from blossoming. But also uh, we've seen now where you put ballot initiatives uh, on a ballot for uh, reproductive choice, and it doesn't go well for conservatives. So I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that they're they're trying to head that off at the pass before it winds up on on a ballot uh, in an a, in election year where folks who uh, are up the ballots may be uh, benefiting or not benefiting from it. I would certainly say conservatives have a reason, and and as the uh, city government of Atlanta mm -hmm. uh, shown, liberals are also. Uh, Quite opposed to well, putting some, referendums yeah, on the ballot. Yeah, some, some liberals, yeah. yes. All right, Matt Scott, Atlanta Community Press Collective. Thank you so much for giving us an update on the Cop City movement. And uh, I, I'm sorry to see you got tear gas. I hope it wasn't too awful for you. You know, I, I, I recovered just fine. I wasn't in the middle of the scrum. Uh, and it, it comes in the, with the line of duty. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys doing that in the line of duty. The Atlanta Community Press Collective, keeping us updated on the Cop City movement. Thank you so much, buddy. Thanks, Rob. One more segment after this on America One Radio or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday, and I don't normally dive into the social media viral thing too often when it's not political, but I got thoughts on this. So first, let me take you a little bit behind the story here a little bit. A gospel singer by the name of Bobby with an I, Storm, she, to me, I saw the I saw the video thumbnail. I thought, oh, is that Fantasia Brino? She looks to me like Fantasia Brino. She's got a short platinum hair and a beautiful voice, obviously. She found out while on a Delta Airlines flight that I think was about to take off that she had gotten nominated for a couple of Grammys. So on TikTok, she, in fact, I'll just go ahead and share with you exactly how this all played out on TikTok. And you can decide for yourself where you fall on this, okay? She was scolded by a flight attendant because she started to sing. 
I just found out I'm up for two Grammys. My very first time, you guys. My name is Bobby Storm, and I'm up for two Grammys. Come up. I don't need anything. I need you. Quiet. But they're enjoying it. So while we're sitting here, could I please? I'm not enjoying it. So I'm asking you, can you be quiet? Okay. Why? Well, yes, that's a yes or no uh, answer, please. Am I going to go to jail if I don't? Can you please answer my question? Are you willing and able to be quiet right now? I'm doing what the Lord is telling me to do. I'm asking you a question, yes or no. I'm your flight leader. Mm. I need you to follow my instruction. Okay. My instructions for you to answer my question. Are you able to be quiet? What right do you guys now? think? I'm asking you, ma'am. I'm asking you guys. What do you guys think? Okay. Mean? If you're not able to, be, to follow my instruction, yeah. you will not be taking this flight. Ah, okay. Are so you able to be asking. quiet? If that's the case, then that's fine. If you are the so person yes. in charge of it all. I'm your flight leader, yes. If you are the person in charge okay. of it all, then that's okay. fine. Okay. All right. Thank all right. you. Okay. So I have thoughts. First of all, lovely voice. I can see why she was nominated for two Grammys. And, and listen, she is the consummate promoter. She was promoting herself. My name is Bobby Storm. Yada, 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 two Grammys. You know people were grabbing their phones and heading to Spotify or Apple Music or maybe to, to purchase some music. It's so good on her for that. And that's, you know, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm excited she got nominated for two Grammys. That's not something that happens to just any musician. That being said, nobody asked you to sing. Seriously. It's it's like, uh, have you seen the commercial? The, the, the guy who breaks out the ukulele at the party and starts singing? Nobody wants to. Nobody wants the ukulele guy to sing, and and I'm not saying that nobody wanted to hear Bobby. What was her name again? Bobby Storm sing. I don't think that's her real name. Anyway, nobody. I'm not saying that nobody around her wanted to hear Bobby Storm sing, but you're <laughs> you're trapped on a plane. If you don't want to hear Bobby Storm sing, and Bobby Storm starts to sing, you're stuck. There, you're trapped. There's nothing you can do about it, and. That's not right. Now, let me take this to the religious point of view, first of all. Okay, listen, I've made it no secret to anybody that listens or to anybody that knows me. I'm agnostic. Well, okay, I'm, I'm basically an atheist. But I can, listen, I hum along to Christmas carols as much as anybody because I've heard them a million times and they're just, you know, common to me now. But, you know, I even like listening to somebody sing Hallelujah or Amazing Grace. I mean, it is what it is. I like I like beautiful music. But I don't necessarily want to hear Christian contemporary music. I just don't. It's not my thing. I, I was actually married to a Pentecostal minister's son, and he grew up on alternatives to pop music and alternatives to pop television. They had, I think what they was called, was it Skynet or Spiritnet or something like that? It was the alternative direct TV that was just clean, squeaky clean TV shows and Whatnot, and so I, I kind of warped, you know, his upbringing, um, and and of course he couldn't listen to routine pop music with all that get low, get low, get low, windows to the wall stuff. <laughs> he had to listen to Christian pop, hip hop, rock music, and I, cheesy. Sorry, I'm not sorry. That's just my taste. It's just I, I just like I, I know everybody wants to be mad at the flight attendant, but the flight attendant ain't wrong. It's not only that he don't want to hear it. There are others who are just going to be not bold enough to say it, but he's on the job. He gets to say it. Miss Miss Bobby Storm don't get to break out into song any more than 
like a country artist does or a rap artist does or not everybody on the plane wants to hear it. That's that. I'll share this viral clip, by the way, in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com because I want you to hear the, sti- the, the s- just total silence when she asked, do y'all want to hear it? It was like three seconds of, and he literally just stepped in and said, well, I don't want to hear it. Oh. But also keep in mind, this is like as a flight's going to take off. There are announcements and instructions that have to be made over the PA system, et cetera, and so on. And she's out there singing in the aisle. No, ma'am, sit down. Buckle your seatbelt. Why? Why you watch her seatbelt's not even buckled. The other thing to remember when you look at a short little viral clip, you don't know what happened before. You don't know what happened after. So let's not just judge the flight attendant or the singer. Hey, she's Grammy nominated. Still, she's on a plane and he's in charge. That's going to do it for the Ron Show. I want to thank Matt Stone with the Atlanta Community Press Collective for joining us. Show notes and more at ronshowatl.com. Back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, and then afterwards, wherever you podcast. Have yourselves a good one. We'll see you then.